could do. Making a reveal. Making a reveal. Welcome to the very special first of two parts in this Rank and Review edition studying the Halloween franchise. Your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons along with guest Lee Beckman are going to discuss all ten so far of the Halloween films. That includes the two Rob Zombie remakes and the eight original franchise installments. So we got a lot of material to cover and it's going to go over two episodes and I really hope you guys are going to enjoy it. As usual, you are going to find coarse language and you are going to find spoilers this episode. I hope that doesn't wreck the meal for you, though. Once again, we come together to discuss a masked silent killer. And once again, Lee Beckman and I have a blast doing it. Seek out Rankin Review at rankinreview.ca. I have an alphabetical list of all the movies that we've reviewed on the podcast uh, and the backlog of all of the episodes there. You can find the show on Facebook and on iTunes. And if you threw me a like on Facebook or a like and a, a review on uh, iTunes, it's so helpful in getting new listeners to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of Rank and Review. Now let's get to Haddonfield and to October 31st and to blood and sex. So I'm sitting in my filthy, filthy garage with Rankin Review's most frequent guest and collaborator, Lee Beckman. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me yet again for the podcast. Um, we're going to talk about Halloween. And uh, you and I have already had a long discussion, a two-part episode discussion of Friday the 13th. Yeah. And I remember you suggesting when we did that, we should do Halloween, we should do Halloween. And I was like, well, yeah, but I think that the next thing we do shouldn't be a voiceless killer, you know, slasher fest, right? Because that's exactly what Friday the 13th is. So I guess in opening this discussion, I would say, what to you distinguishes Halloween from Friday the 13th? You know, what's... They're both slasher movies. They're both basically dumb teenagers being killed by a silent masked maniac. Yeah. How do we distinguish Halloween? What What's its corner of the playground? Well, I think when you're going to be at least comparing Friday the 13th to Halloween, Halloween really tries to take itself seriously throughout the series. It rarely goes off the sort of black comedy or at least comedic elements that Friday the 13th embraces i'd say about the halfway mark of of the series or maybe over the halfway mark it doesn't wink at you particularly and it's not usually trying to be funny on purpose exactly yes there you go well said <laughs> my friend uh and i guess yeah friday the 13th and especially nightmare on elm street are definitely guilty of doing that yeah there there is a lot of wink wink nudge nudge halloween says we're a horror movie we want to scare you that's what we're about yeah and they stuck with that like yeah. I said, there are some batshit insane movies that we're going to talk oh, about. Oh, <laughs> without a doubt. And uh, in a way, that kind of distinguishes the series to me. Yeah. Watching them all in order, which I did, uh, uh, it's kind of cool because you sort of see the progression of cinema. <laughs> you know, we go from 1978 to 2009, I think, here. 
Yep. Something That's like that. 19, uh, they, 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 uh, Halloween's 1978 and Zombies Halloween 2 is 2009. I think so. Anyway, uh, it's it stretches a fairly good, you know, portion of my life and uh, and cinema history. Yeah. And you can see the progression from film to film of the styles of not just the fashions and the people, but like yeah. how
movies that we're going to talk about here. Yeah. There is the movies that involve Laurie Strode, which would be one and two, H2O, and Resurrection. Good. And then <laughs> sorry, I think I, I just stuff. worked on my own jacket. <laughs> and then there's this the one sort of the other tangent storyline that follows Loomis, the Donald Pleasant yeah. character, right? Yeah. So they're depending on what movie you're watching, either Laurie Strode or Don, Loomis will be the main character. Doctor Loomis, and, yeah. And uh, they don't coalesce. The two timelines do not reconcile. Yeah. In one timeline, Laurie Strode is dead by a car accident yeah. between the the before the fourth movie, and in another timeline, you know she's. A schoolmaster. Yeah, uh, they so, hit. They, they do hit the reboot button um, at one point of the series. Although I think they needed to. Yeah, well, I get it, but it's just sort of weird, and that's something that is weird as and and choppy as like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth does. Yeah, they bend over backwards to autocorrect to make it all somehow in the same universe. Yeah, whereas Halloween's willing to say, you know what, uh, we fucked up. Let's just never mind that scene. Well. Never mind the by the time boots. by the time they hit the reset button and and they hit the reset reset button really twice in the series, the first time they did it they had to do it because certain cast members had died. Right. Um, not only the fact, but they had literally also pinned themselves into a shitty corner. But it was because one of the major players had died. But we we will get to that. Right. That that's why they hit the reboot. I guess another question I have for you, and I don't want you to answer this right now because I want you to think about it as we go through this. The series of movies, Mustafa Akkad, right. friend or foe, to the Halloween, to, to the Michael Myers series. Right. Well, we that is a good discussion. I think that's why I thought it would be a good time to do the Halloween now. Yeah. I'm sure that we're going to see Michael Myers again. Absolutely. We, can, we we've come close actually. They were literally they had a cool script which I read a you know snippets of online called Halloween Returns, which kind of sounded like a cool idea. Having it placed in a in a psych ward, where but, they've kidnapped Michael Myers, and surprise surprise, he gets released on Halloween and literally chases the people throughout the psych ward throughout the entire picture. But the but, rights have changed. It's no yeah. longer Dimension, the Weinstein's, Mustafa Akkad. Which that is whole not a bad thing. It's gone. Whoever takes place, whoever takes it next, is going to have it in their own sort of thing. So what we're looking at is sort of a nice install, good first installment. Yeah. Whether it becomes a TV show, John Carpenter has famously said recently that if you want to do horror, you have to go to television now. Yeah. Um, whether it be a TV show or another series of movies or whatever it's going to be, there will be more. But I think that Sorry. a new era of Halloween is about to begin, is I yeah. guess what I'm trying to say. That, that whatever it is, a TV show or another series of movies, it'll be a new era for Halloween. So yeah. it seemed appropriate that we do this now. Okay. You're right. I, I'll, whether he was good or bad, we can save that conversation for afterwards. Yeah. Uh, the one other thing I want to say before we get in, and we should probably get into these Halloween movies, yeah. is uh, I noticed a weird little pattern. I don't know if you'll agree or disagree. But uh, in this original section of movies, we have the first two movies. One sort of echoes the other. They're very obviously connected, and one is clearly better than the other. And then it's followed by a complete wild card batshit crazy thing, right? Those are the first three movies. Following that, the next three movies... I would argue follow the same trajectory. There are two movies that are kind of mirror images of each other, but I would say one is decidedly better than the other. Then it gets better. Followed shit. by another episode that is batshit crazy. Yeah. Then we have in two movies basically the same thing. Instead of in three movies, it happens in two. <laughs> we have H2O and Resurrection. <coughs> yes. Which yeah. are mirror movies of each other, but one of them's good and the other is batshit. Yeah. And the same thing happens with the Rob Zombie movie. Yeah, 
I mean, uh, good might be pushing it. Uh, enjoyable and crazy, maybe. It would be how I would say. <laughs> I would almost agree with you with the pattern because you, you, it is interesting. But when we get to the zombie ones, I'll be curious to see what we talk about because I've kind of come around on one of them. Yeah. Um, I, it'll be interesting to talk about the zombie Halloweens because they are a complex beast <laughs> and. I don't want to say anything else, but I, it's an it's an interesting analogy. Uh, I think the pattern is you're almost right there. Um, it's yeah, it's you've got an, you've got something. I yeah. will say this, um, but getting getting back to earlier, I am going to be biased and coming in as a fan yeah. of the series. I was the kind of person that read all these Halloween websites and was very excited when an H two O was coming. I knew like years in advance that you know they were being made and. You know, and Carpenter at one point was going to be set to do H2O, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah. You know, I, I was the kid that ran to the 7-Eleven and got the Fangoria and read it ruthlessly whenever there was Michael Myers on the cover. Right. Um, I, there is even my Halloween literature that I, you know, got from the library at one point. Like, So this is your Romero Dead series in a lot of ways. But, and I used to, and I used to hold this series in higher regard than the Friday the 13th series. Right. So sure anymore. Upon rewatching them, which one you enjoy them? Uh-huh. Well, you'll always have your love of it from youth. But yeah, yeah. I find the Friday the Thirteenth more rewatchable. I don't know, like they they move faster, and because they don't rely on necessarily on the long slow walks down the hallways, yeah, they don't feel as necessarily repetitive. They are very repetitive, but for some reason we don't feel it. Well, then that's that's one thing that I think really hurts this series overall. I mean, both have a repetitive nature to them. They're slasher films. They're slasher films, that, and they have you know the same sort of staples that you know the, the sex, the nudity, the drugs, and mass killer violence. That's why we're here. Let's be honest. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know. There's something about how Friday the 13th embraces the lunacy about the halfway point. Yeah. Where Halloween only really realizes its fun nature by the time Kevin Williamson gets a hold of it. And it's really a one-off. Really. But to discuss... Shall we go forth let's, into the breach, dear let friend? Let us step into the wonderful, magnificent, and insane world of Halloween. Fifteen years ago, I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I'm babysitting the Doyles. The Wallaces leave at seven. I come to talk with you. What about the boogeyman? The boogeyman is coming. <laughs> There's no such thing. The Halloween night, it's when people play tricks on each other. It's all make-believe. The boogeyman can only come out on Halloween night, right? Right. While I'm here tonight, I'm not about to let anything happen to you. Promise? Promise. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? He's been here once. He's on his way. Tonight. Families. Children all lined up in rows up and down these streets. You're telling me they're lined up for a slaughterhouse. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. 
So I've reviewed Halloween before. I've yep. reviewed John Carpenter's Halloween before, and uh, yep. I'm ranked at number one in our list of slasher cinema history. As well which as you should. had movies like Psycho and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street on it. So, I mean, I think that the cat's out of the bag, but I'm a huge fan of John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, but that, one of the brother. benefits of being able to review it again is that I can correct a couple of things that I said. Okay. In the original review. Okay. Um, I didn't have my notes in front of me like I never do because yeah. I'm not professional. But uh, this movie cost about $350,000 to make. Yes. And until 1999, when the Blair Witch Project came out, it was considering the cost to profit yeah. ratio. It was, was the, the most profitable film yes. ever. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's a really interesting and high watermark. I had my numbers wrong in the original review. Okay. The other thing that I said in the original review is that I respected the fact that the the, peop- the kids in the movie weren't stupid. They didn't do stupid horror movie things. Mm. And they do do stupid horror movie things. What I was referring to mm-hmm. was the fact that they didn't know Michael Myers was out there. Most of the people who die in this first Halloween movie have no fucking idea who Michael Myers is until he is killing them. Yeah. So it's not that, yeah, of course Laurie Strode does the stupid thing and throws the knife down and, and doesn't leave the room immediately. Those horror tropes exist. Yeah. What I mean is, for the most part, this group of kids aren't... Duh. Yeah, no, well, and, the, and the, uh, the other thing you have to keep in mind is that these kids have grown up in a sleepy small town, and there's a difference between kids growing up in an urban setting yeah. and then in a rural setting because it's a community where everyone knows each other, you know, they, they don't lock the door. You know, even in the 70s, like, you know, it's a very sweet and innocent time. And I think that's one thing that the Halloween films really picked up on is, yeah. I mean, the original title for this movie was called The Babysitter Killers, a really yeah. sort of simple exploitation title. Yeah, it didn't even necessarily need to be on Halloween. This could happen any night of no. the year, really, right? Well, yeah, and even sort of in the late stages of, of writing this movie, uh, Carpenter and Hill basically came up well why don't we call it Halloween and put it on Halloween night it was one of those you know third or fourth draft ideas and that's you know when the floodgates opened in a lot of ways the babysitters and the killers got them their money but the Halloween I think was a really good call babysitter killers I don't think would hit as and be as memorable like, no no Halloween just has a lot associated with it we we don't know exactly what we're getting but this is going to be a horror movie well and the fact that it was called Halloween and took place on Halloween night is essentially what got Mustafa Akkad I hope I'm saying that name correctly I feel idiotic if I'm yeah. getting it wrong that's what brought him in really is yeah. he like oh well it's a horror movie on Halloween night brilliant yeah um but I guess the question I have before we get into the meat of it Lawrence yes was, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I would have been quite young. I couldn't give you the date and time. It would have been on VHS, of course. Yes. Um, but I, I don't remember the experience of the whole movie, but particularly the opening shot with the little boy POV. Yeah. When we see young Michael Myers, uh, the moment he snaps. It's sort of the way I always thought of it. Yeah. Like we sort of, the film opens the second that that little boy changes from Michael Myers into the shape. Yeah. And that, just the shot of the, the mask coming off the little kid and the revelation that this violence was dealt out by a little boy who was a little bit younger than I was when I was watching the movie because yep. I watched this way too young. Yep. <laughs> um, so I remember that image and I remember finding that sort of frightening. Yeah. But beyond that, a lot of it was I had my ears plugged and there were the boobies. And, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It didn't, I didn't connect with it in the same way. I liked my... 
my horror movies like it was a little bit fun and a little bit more momentum at the time yeah i i grew to the to sort of appreciate this flavor of, of horror well for me this next to jaws this was this is the second movie that really taught me the notion of fear at least when it came to the fictitious where here was a a, a product a, a you know a, a movie that i completely got engrossed in and was terrified you gotta rewind back to Halloween night. A ten, I think maybe ten, eleven year old Lee uh, went across the street because he had some friends, uh, and we'd gone trick or treating with our mutual friends, and then went back. We all went back to uh, his house. Uh, we ate, of course, way too much candy, eating our <laughs> spoils. And uh, his mom said, "Hey, I got a movie for you kids." And Reese's like, "Oh yeah," and he had already seen it, and put on Halloween, and for the next ninety minutes. We were thoroughly engrossed. Yeah. It was a perfect Halloween night. It was warm. We it was the, the leaves were all on the ground. Well, as the you know movie ended, and I grabbed my candy and said good night, y'all, and I went out of his house, and I literally stared at my house across the street, <laughs> and it was the longest walk home. <laughs> it was man, like it was a short walk, but it was a long walk. And I even looked down the street, and all of a sudden, that block became that block of Haddonfield. And I swear to God, my imagination created this shape figure coming down the street, and I ran my little kid ass home. <laughs> this movie broke my little brain. And I, I, I ran in, said, good night, Mom, good night, Dad. And I'm sure the fountains of sugar pumping through my body probably didn't help. <laughs> right. But I ran home crawled into bed and had literally like white knuckled it for the rest of the night because I was convinced that Michael Myers was coming to get me. Scott, when my friend Scott Lehman, when we first reviewed it, said something very truthful about it too. In a lot of ways, this is the perfect first slasher movie. Mm. I mean, it's a little inappropriate. It's not really gory. There's a few stabbies and strangles in it, but by yeah. slasher standards, pretty PG. Oh, it's, it's, it's tame. And there's brief, brief, brief nudity. Mm, uh, there's nudity. Yeah, but like, as far as, you know, kids are going to be watching something inappropriate compared to some of the shit they could have watched, yeah, Halloween is, in a way, kind of the ideal entry point. I, I would say this to parents who have, you know, kids that are in the, the pre-teens, mid-teens that are just starting to really, you know, get into the horror movie genre, and you want them to get beyond the sort of PG thirteen kitty stuff, although PG thirteen this day and age is a different an animal. Yeah, it's way stronger than Halloween even. Yeah. But if you wanted to get them sort of in slowly, kind of massage their way into the R rated horror films, I think this would be a great way to start. Yeah. Because if you're worried about obviously one of the staples of which is brutal horror and violence, which is a common thread in a lot of horror movies to the point of being shocking and, you know, mind-numbing. Halloween, at least violence-wise, is like puppy fare. Yeah. The thing you'd have to get around with is obviously the sex and nudity, which there is some. There's well, not a lot. But... I mean, speaking as a lover of the horror genre, it just it blows my mind. I, I will never, ever understand it that we can watch on The Walking Dead any level of ridiculous violence. Yeah. But if we saw Carol's titties in an episode, the world would grind to a fucking halt. Yeah. Oh my God, nipples. Yes. Like, it's 
ridiculous yeah the, the stigma like if you're okay with watching michael myers stab this guy into a door and look at him hang there and die as he squirms yeah uh, uh and you're not okay with titty yeah i think there's some cognitive dissonance happening yeah um but I would like to steer the ship towards the plot because we're pretty deep into this and we haven't really talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think anyone listening to this hasn't seen Halloween, but if, you, uh, if you're that person... To the uninitiated. Hello, you're, you're strange for listening to this before you watch the movie, but thank you for listening to the podcast. Michael Myers, as a child, kills his sister and then is uh, put away into an institution. Many years later, he escapes that institution, returns to Haddonfield to stalk and kill... Teenagers. Uh, teenagers. Uh, the sort of subplot about uh, Laurie being his sister and stuff like that doesn't come into it until later episodes. Yeah, well, well, in this well, yeah. movie, he's You shouldn't even talk about it in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. In this movie, basically, he's a mass killer, and if he bumps into you, you know, on Halloween, you got a serious problem. Yeah. Donald Pleasance is, of course, our uh, investigator doctor who's here to try and stop him and deal with the local police and save as many lives as possible yeah. i just wanted to say the plot once because fair enough we hadn't yet fair enough <laughs> if you're going to talk about halloween and and the elements that make it a classic movie and like i said if, if you're going to start your son or daughter on this path you, you want to show them the goods one of the things that makes halloween amazeballs is the score yeah. is the iconic score by john carpenter this movie honestly would be not almost nothing without the score um and if you think about it a lot of not all but some of the great classic horror movies are hugely benefited by their sound and music if you put on say the exorcist that that theme the the bells i forget the name of it right now yeah. instantly most people go oh yeah the exorcist Nightmare on Elm Street has that sort of haunting child score, one, Chimes, two, yeah. Freddy going for you. The second that plays, you instantly know. I would like to think most people would recognize the score from The Shining as well. Mm. You know, you play that, and at least most people would kind of go, wait a minute, that's Jaws. familiar. Jaws, of course. Even the first bars in the yeah. pause would be like, Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. yeah. Psycho, the, the, the Herman Berryman score. Sound is unbelievably important to any film, but yeah. to a horror movie, it's yeah. incredible. That's yeah. like I've, I've often said, when I was scared, I did not shut my eyes. I plugged my ears. Yeah. This sound makes it scary. Yeah. You take that score out, and yes, it's true. You would have a lot of long sequences of actors either walking across the street or down the block yeah. or down hallways, and they would be quite boring. But in, you put in that rather classic and kind of musically insane score. Like it's a 5-4 beat in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. do, 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 do. And all of a sudden, there's something primal about it that is just haunting and terrifying and, and unnerving. And it, it's, I think, one of the reasons why this, this film is in the American Library, Congress Library. Like this film is now going to be preserved and saved throughout time. I don't think Friday the 13th is in there. I don't think Nightmare on Elm Street is there, at least not yet. But Halloween is, is put there and will be saved until you know we are as a species wiped off the face of the earth. And I'm into that. Um, another thing that I think Halloween gets incredibly right is the difference between suspense and splatter. Because right off the bat, Friday the 13th is a splatter film. And what I mean by a splatter film is there's a focus on the blood the and the gore and the violence. And Nightmare on Elm Street is the same way. Nothing against that. I love me a good splatter film. But this is a suspense film. 
it has violence, and but the violence is is different. And I give you, you know, that that infamous scene in where uh, Laurie Strode is trapped inside of the closet, and Michael basically starts breaking through. There's not quote unquote blood and violence, although Michael does get stabbed in the eye by a coat hanger. But it's the sheer violent act that Michael is coming through and the closet nowhere to go. and nowhere to go. Like you are fucking losing your mind. Yeah. And that's and that is just pure and utter gut wrenching suspense. And that is a classic scene in any suspense movie. Yeah. I think the other sequence where and this is after Laurie Strode has discovered her friends murdered across the house in the street and she escapes and she's been wounded and she's been lip and she limps next door and basically is not helped by the neighbors and then she limps her way back to the house where she's been babysitting and Michael all of a sudden has that very intense walk. Amen, Mr. Nick Castle, by the way, who yeah. plays The Shape, and we'll get to Nick Castle later as well. And she's banging on the door. Like, I've, I, I have seen Halloween so many times I've lost count. Like, I don't know, I honestly don't know how much I've seen this movie. It's one of the three movies where I, I don't know how, I think maybe four, that I don't, I've seen it so many times I don't know how many times I've seen it. Every single time I see that sequence and she's banging on the door, it's still, and even now talking about it, provides provides me chills. Like I, I still go, ah, and Get this time, yeah, and this time, and I think this is also because this, I, um, I've seen it now as a father. The first thought that went through my head is, you idiot. You are running back to the house where there's two young kids sleeping in the bed. You have just endangered. You've lured him. You've to lured them. him to these two kids. You idiot. It's it's understandable because you're at that point. She's in a fight or flight place. state of uh, state of mind and wants to get to a safe place. I get it, but that I, that thought came to my head. And you're right. I I was making dinner watching this a couple of days ago watching it, and I had my hands over my ears, and that ding 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 sound was going. <laughs> And I soon realized that I had stopped what I was doing, stopped cooking, and you know, and the hamburger was starting to really turn brown. And I went, "Oh my god, I am completely engrossed in this movie, and I already know what's going to happen." Yeah. <laughs> so that's just sort of speaking to the power of this movie. That there's some sequences that are just superbly done. I want to spend a couple of minutes on this gentleman, John Carpenter. Yeah. I think you should probably get to know this guy. <laughs> because bell. I think that you might like him. Yeah. Oh, wait, we've talked about him a few times in the past. Yeah. I'm remembering. What I think uh, I really like about this type of classic movie, and this is a total classic horror movie, yeah. is that I don't think John Carpenter was setting out to make a classic. No. He wanted to make as good a movie as he could with the yeah. money. Yeah. And in order to do it, you know, he, low, he, he took a low offer he made this movie dirt cheap oh yeah but it was going to be in exchange his name above the title this isn't this is john carpenter's halloween yeah this is you know him trying to you know like i'm a filmmaker fucking look at me and and, and it, the films will all be about their own stories but i'm also you know yeah john carpenter is his own sort of packaging in a lot of ways yeah. you and i and a lot of other people will watch anything that he puts his name to He's not a fancy director. He's not a distracting director. He doesn't like. He's not like Quentin Tarantino or, or Martin Scorsese or even Fincher, who's constantly hammering you with style. Yeah. He almost just gets out of the way. He sort of. He seems to want to tell the story with as few edits as possible in mm. a lot of ways. It's very, very clear. Very, you know. Uh, he 
his specificity of the shots that he chose, the fact that he went super, super widescreen to get yeah, that, that, that infamous three, three over 15 panoscopic So he had a lot of frame to fill and a lot of places for you to look. And yeah. uh, because the whole movie is suspense, a lot of the movie is Michael Myers stalking Laurie Strode. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes The Shape or Michael Myers kind of interesting is that he's dormant until Halloween night, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the rule's broken a few times in the series, but for the most part, he doesn't kill unless it's Halloween. That's not true. He does. He kills the uh, truck driver. We don't see it, but he has killed the truck he driver. He did kill another guy. Okay. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, he like he does wait for most of his damage. Halloween night, I will give you that. But uh, okay. I, I, he has taken care of rid of a body uh, before he gets to Haddonfield. Well, maybe I'll put it this way: He doesn't do his Michael Myers super spree killing thing. That was sort of a crime of opportunity. He killed yeah. that person for a reason. Yeah. On Halloween night, he kills. For the sake of killing, I yes. guess. Yes, I, I'll give you this. Something else that I think the other films really failed to get right is, especially during the day shots, where obviously it, it's less scary per se, yeah. is we don't see a lot of Michael Myers' head or face. No. Even even during the day, like we see his hands, but it really stops at his neck. Where by the time we get even to the sequel, right after it, we see a lot of Michael and I think that takes away from the mystery. I mean, we do see Michael in the background, which adds an element of creepiness with those panoscopic, panoscopic wide shots, but it's far away, and, and he's wearing that mask. Right. That's kind of terrifying. And then Laurie Strode sort of looks out at the window and sees Michael sort of standing in the backyard looking up. That's creepy. Yeah. And I love, I lo and this is once again, Carpenter's film language coming through where the camera slowly pans back to the phone and we and then the audience knows right away that the phone's gonna ring yeah and you know it's little things just to sort of you know tension tension ease and oh, oh that thing and another thing that carpenter gets right and spield and steven spielberg the beard also has talked about this is there's very feeling i think it's once again the third act when the jump scare and there's maybe one or two of them happens in this movie because once you've had that first jump scare you've kind of the the cat is out of the bag in a lot of ways, and Carpenter's smart enough to know this. If there's one around every corner, they start to lose their effect. You use well timed earned scares. Well, yeah. Well, then the audience members who's been trained for it starts counting one, two, three. She's back into the window. Yeah. Oh, you fool! Yeah. yeah you know. Oh, yeah. And it's simple tricks with this movie. Um, you know, in the final act, when it's you know once again Myers and Laurie Strode battling it out in the house, and you know, she, um, I don't think she's injured at this point. I maybe she's crying and she's just found her friends, and, and there's the you know her back is to the door and all of a sudden the light comes out. It's, and you know it's a light, but it's probably the moonlight. And Michael's mask slowly sort of starts to creep. Mm -hmm. That's a t creeping into the shot. Yeah, that's a creepy shot. And they've tried to and they've emulate or steal that shot. Throughout the series as the well. The perspective work, the point of view work is really good. A lot of times yeah. we're seeing from Michael Myers' perspective, and yeah. sometimes we're seeing from Laurie Strode's perspective. Yeah. But for that shot, for that scare, yeah. that was for the audience. Yeah, and that's... That was our perspective, yeah. and it got us, right? Yeah, and you're kind of going, uh, behind you. I love how much love was put into this movie. I love how it's every single slasher movie archetype, yeah. but no slasher movie since has touched it. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, though, like as, as much credit that John Carpenter gets, and deservedly so, 
I think a huge shout out has to go to Deborah Hill. Yeah. I mean, she is the other half, the other creative force of this movie. And even though she's gotten recognition, she is li- she was, she's since passed on. Yeah. But she was a pioneer, not only a, a, as producers, but for women in a very male dominated field. She, her and Gail Ann Hurd really led the charge. And, and I think that she also, because she wrote, co-wrote the screenplay. One and two. Uh, she understood the girls, the babysitters. And yeah. I think if a dude had written the babysitters, they yeah. wouldn't have felt quite as real and genuine. Yeah. The relationship between the girls and their parents all seemed just right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know if... Uh, John Carpenter is a decent writer, but I don't think by himself he would have quite got there. Yeah. I think Laurie Strode would have been a different, more basic, badass hero, closer to a Snake Plissken, right? Yeah. In this, like, she is fragile and strong simultaneously, and it's yeah. a fine line to walk. Um, looking at her own filmography, because she co-wrote with him Halloween 1 and 2, yeah. The Fog, Escape from New York, L.A., I think that might be it. If you take those filmography, those films out of his own filmography, he didn't write the same place. Yeah, he he didn't write the thing. That was that was um, Lancaster. I I I kind of think Deborah Hill had a huge, not only creative impact, but um, they were romantic at one point during the making of this film. Deborah Hill had a huge imprint on John Carpenter, Mm -hmm. and. Looking her at name her, doesn't come up as often as no, it and it really, really should. Even looking at the body of, of, of her own work when they separated, she produced The Fisher King, right. which is amazing. Uh, she was one of the first female producers ever for working for Walt Disney Adventures in Babysitting, um, Gross Anatomy, which was not a good movie, but whatever. Um, the last film she produced was World Trade Center, an Oliver Stone film. I mean, this woman was a creative force, and I really do think she she's not... I mean, she got her credit, but I think when you talk about Halloween, it's all about John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance. I really do think Deborah Hill needs a bigger shout-out because she helped create this universe. She helped actually create Michael Myers. Um, she was responsible for the, the scenes with the girls, and they are believable. Uh, and led to a lot of the great qualities involved with Halloween. Another thing that's, that should be mentioned with this film is a lot of people who had amazing careers in the film industry got their start on Halloween. If and you're not... involved at the ground floor of Halloween, yeah, you get a career, and you know what? You deserve it. Yeah. For sure, Tommy Lee Wallace would go under great things, yep. and there's, there's a lot of people involved tangentially. I mean, if you have your, 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 your finger in the pie that early, it's just a great place to be. Yeah. <laughs> Dean Cundy is still working to this day. He's the DP. DOP for Spielberg he's worked with. Yeah, him. Nick yeah. Castle also had a bit of a film career. Yeah. Shout out to Last Starfighter, which I will also mention again at some point. <laughs> um, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, this is her big break. She's Yeah, I do want to talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. Um, there is something about this movie, and it, I mean, we're, we're just gushing, right? We're sure, yeah, gushing yeah. all over this. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you close your eyes and you listen to Halloween, you're going to hear, like you were talking about, that high-pitched ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 and you're going to hear about, I'm going to say, a half an hour of Jamie Lee Curtis screaming deliriously, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And there is a shrillness to that. Yeah. Um, if you're not into the movie, if you're like trying to do your homework and it was playing in the background, I can understand how it would be nails down a chalkboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's a, a very sincere performance. Like, uh, mm. 
I, I never really understood it as necessarily a star-making role. It was a big movie, so she became a big star because of it. She became but, a screen queen, the, yeah. the ultimate screen queen. She, yeah, she would have no problem getting work in genre. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you believed her when she was in peril. But I think it was later in the game. Like I think by the time we get to H2O, she is so much a better actress than she oh, was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean... She's raw, but she's raw talent. And she's real. Like, yeah. like uh, her, her nervousness, whether it be through the performance or, or, or better her being legitimately nervous about having her first starring role, reads genuine. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it, it's, it, it's good. You can tell the difference between, say, the performance of Jamie Lee Curtis and then Donald Pleasance. Yeah. I mean, here, Pleasance, who is totally respectful of the material... He's he's almost got this sort of classical theater uh, trained, classically trained vibe to him yeah. in a lot of ways, which in its own way makes it somewhat melodramatic. <laughs> well, this was far from the man's first rodeo. Right? Yeah, this yeah. was like I'm sure at the time a paycheck performance. Yeah. That said, you're gonna pay the money to get Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Donald Pleasance was gonna give you your fucking money's worth. Exactly. He's not here to phone it in. Yeah. Even if he doesn't like your script, he's gonna do everything he can to sell it. Yeah. And uh, he has, I think, some pretty heavy-handed dialogue. Oh, no. It gets even heavier as we go through the series. Oh, but, but even like, by the second one, yeah. he has to choke down some tough lines. Yeah. But, like, usually I'm on board. There's a couple times that, uh, and I'll talk about when they happen, where, like, even he seems a little embarrassed by the lines, but not yet. In this movie, he's very sincere. Yeah. And I think the success sort of bonded he and, and Carpenter. So. Well, yeah. No, he even openly admitted when he took the role. Like, he was very hard with Carpenter w w during the initial interview yeah. and asked him, why do you want to make this movie that he did not like the script? What convinced him was that his daughter had seen Assault on Precinct 13 and told him that it was a really good movie. His daughter has good taste, because it is. Yeah, and uh, that you should do this dude's do this John Garbinger's next movie and he took it. He also worked in the movie for five days yeah. so they only had It very... was a minimal investment for him but yeah. like I said another actor like Val Kilmer shows up in lots oh, of Oh, Kilmer would have movies, destroyed right? this movie. He, he's, he's like Val anything for Dollar Kilmer the last ten years he shows up in lots and lots of movies yeah. and like exactly the same gig he's going to be the highest paid actor on set he's going to be there for five days but he's going to fucking sleepwalk through it. Yeah, I think Donald Pleasance was like, no, no, you hired me, you wanted me, I'm gonna bring. Yeah, I'm gonna bring it. Another thing, and th and this is after watching a couple of documentaries about the making of this movie, and Donald Pleasance showed up and realized uh, that everyone was working their little ass off to make this movie, and it was a little movie. Yeah, everybody, like everyone, from you know the prop masters to the set designers to the gophers. Even like the lead actors, like P.J. Souls, Jamie Lee Curtis, they would help bring like the camera, the boom mics, everything to the next shooting scene. Yeah. And it was a, a, honestly a little community, family, that, even, yeah. family that were literally like sleeping on, you know, the porches of houses that took over this town, and made the little movie that could. And, and I it, do think that that sort of built a little favor factory like you helped me out to make halloween and yeah. now i'm john carpenter yeah. so now if you need a favor from john carpenter you fucking got it yeah <laughs> and that's a nice place to be in right? yeah no no and nobody did it because they thought oh then john carpenter will owe me something the reason this movie is good is the reason that they were passionate about the movie is because they wanted to make the best damn horror movie they could yeah and i and i think it it it, it bled off on that screen 
Halloween to me is one of the games, a perfect example, and I've said this before, it's lightning in a bottle. There's no reason, real reason why this movie is so good as it is, but all the forces came together from the writing, the directing, the acting, and everyone showing up on time to do their work and work as hard as they could and made a bona fide classic film. Even talking about it now puts a smile on my face. And it's, it's, it's one of the best horror films ever made. I shot him six times. I shot him in the heart. The planet, he's not human. Universal Pictures presents Halloween 2. More of the night he came home. Who is it? Nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason that wasn't even remotely human. <laughs> Some kind of a joke. I've been triggered, treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. So what I like about Halloween 2, jumping right into things. Yeah. I like sequels that are immediate sequels. Yeah. Like this movie, although it was two years later, almost, I think. 78 was Halloween and 81 is so Halloween three, 2. By yeah. the time it came out, yeah. Uh, even though they, years have passed between the, the movies being made, it's set the same night. Laurie Strode is taken to the hospital. Yeah. Michael Myers is still at large. Yeah. Loomis and the sheriff are still looking for him. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting things that they can exploit in this, like uh, upon watching it again. For instance, the sheriff doesn't realize at this point, at the beginning of the movie, that his daughter has been murdered. Yep. He finds out during the course of the movie. We didn't get that scene in the original Halloween. We yeah. only get it as benefit of this movie. Right? You let him out. Yeah. It's a, how the, the execution we can talk about, but yeah. it's a scene, you know, that we would have imagined obviously was going to happen. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> you know, um, and in a way they were painted into this corner because of my thing, like Michael Myers is psycho on Halloween. He's still out. He's still at large. Yeah. So that's the good. I kind of like that. I mean, it it, it has its own advantages and disadvantages, but I yeah. like that approach. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis had had her haircut super short, which was popular 80s style. Yeah, going she's little, clearly wearing a wig. Yeah, she's going through a bad girl phase. And uh, yeah, she's wearing a wig fairly obviously through portions of this movie. Some shots it seems to be better than others, but some of them are pretty bad. Yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs> And there are a few flaws that just jump out in a way that nothing nothing approaches that in the first movie. Yeah. But I will say, it is a very respectful sequel. Mm. I will say, obviously, I think it benefits from the fact that, that Carpenter had a hand in the screenplay. Uh, He's also a ghost director in this movie. Yeah. Uh, there was some, well, there was some good, well done sequences. Mm. It mystifies me, because we're going to be talking about another Halloween movie that this guy directed called Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> I do not understand how the man who directed the very respectful and tonally, you know, continu continuous with the original film, who, who made such a solid sequel, could make such a fucking disaster. <laughs> like, well, uh, I yeah. don't know what happened in the intervening years, but it cannot have been anything good. <laughs> yeah, all right, well, I don't want to talk about resurrection right now. 
<laughs> for the listeners at home, every time we mention this particular movie, it's we, 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 we will spit. It's sort of like the cinematic equivalent of that Scottish play, <laughs> which we shall not name. But as you probably have guessed, we're not, not fans. fans of another Halloween movie in this franchise. But, but I want to save my energy for when we we're get, gonna there. get there. We're yeah, gonna yeah, get yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tamp down the fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, the, the plot is a continuation that's in Halloween night. Laurie Strode's at the hospital, Michael Myers trying to get to her, yeah. and uh, Loomis, uh, now with a different police officer, because once the sheriff finds out about his daughter, yeah, that's he strange. disappears from the movie. Once he sees his daughter, he's done for the movie, yeah. I kind of liked it, though. You yeah. know, you'd expect him to go all fucking Rambo and say, I'm going to personally hunt this guy down, yeah. but in reality, you would be destroyed. Yeah, Charles Cyphers, I hope I'm saying that correctly, is the actor... He had, Carpenter had used him, I think, before. I think even in Assault in Precinct 13. Yeah. The Halloween franchise is full of that <coughs> guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. Just... It also has the uh, c- cinematic um, start of Lance Guest. Right. Do you know who Lance Guest is, my friend? He's yeah. the last Starfighter? He is the last yeah. <laughs> Starfighter. That's right. Yeah. To all you last Starfighter and Jaws the Revenge fans out there, which I know there must be some. <laughs> Please let there be some. <laughs> if there's apologists for Halloween 3, should there be apologists for Jaws 4? <laughs> no. No. There's, there's, there's no apology. <laughs> Q-in Radiohead. We keep on getting off the boat. Of Halloween 2, oh, and we need touche. to get back on it. Halloween 2, yes. Laurie Strode's in the hospital. Another yep. thing I want to say. Yeah. I am scared of hospitals. Yeah. I don't like hospitals. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I have my other little scares. I always have people sending me shark pictures and clown pictures on my Facebook feed, but that's fine. I can handle it. Yeah. I am uncomfortable in a hospital. Yeah. I don't like hospitals when they're brightly lit and neat and clean and, you know, antiseptic. I just don't... And in this movie, of course, it's a dark and stormy Halloween night, and, and it's the most underlit hospital in the world. Yeah. Uh, but it's a really good setting for a horror movie. No, that's one of the things that that I think was a good decision about the script is, um, and usually I would say well, part of the, one of the things that works about the Halloween series is when it's in the town of Haddonfield, and in, and in the sort of neighborhood. Once again, I think that's something that the writers got right, was here was the horror invading common, quote-unquote, America, but the hospital was a nice touch. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, for a, a hospital, and because I've partially grew up in a small town, yeah. that's a mighty big hospital, it's a for, huge hospital. For, for a small town. And, and that was one of those attention to detail things. I'm like, wait a second. Not so much throughout the movie, but when the movie ends, per se, and it has that shot right in front of the hospital, and Laurie's being... Spoilers, she survives. <laughs> when Laurie Strode is being taken out on the stretcher into the ambulance, that hospital is huge. It's massive. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way there would be that big of a hospital. But, you know, that's one of those attention to detail things. So, I think it's an okay movie. Yeah. I think it's an okay movie. Yeah. I can't like get too enthused about it. There's a there's the scene that happens almost right away in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like the first shot. Donald Pleasant runs out to the front yard to look at the spot in the lawn yeah. where Michael Myers' corpse should be. Yeah. And he'd already seen that the guy was gone. And there's that line. And he has that line. You don't know, know what death, death is. is. Yeah. And then he runs. And there's something about the way he runs. It's like he's in a he can't wait. To get out of the shot, it's it's not the urgency of the run that he needs to go chase down Michael Myers. It that he's ashamed of the line that he just fucking delivered. Yeah, he's got to <laughs> choke down some pretty. 
distinct. That's lines one of the few times movie. where the mask slips for me. In, yeah. in, with uh, with Donald Pleasance, because I do have a lot of respect for that dude, right? But oh, like... <laughs> you know what? He brought it. I, I like th- like he did the best he could yeah. <laughs> with some of those lines. Like even some of his exposition lines that are just clear repetition from the first movie. But I, it was heavy-handed in the first movie. Yeah. It's taken up a notch uh, here. Oh, God, yeah. And it's and it's really, like, said over and over a couple of times. Like, he gives that that speech where he was my patience, but he became an obsession of mine, mm-hmm. and I soon realized that there was nothing behind those eyes, just deep darkness. Whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that line is in particular. He, he says that more than once to, a, you know, a different character... Uh, in this movie, and at that point, you're like, yeah, yes, I get it. And, you know, there was nothing. He was just this demon waiting to be unleashed. So he's got to, yeah, he's got to choke those lines a, a couple of times. Of the Pleasant's arc of movies, because like I said, he sort of has his Halloween movies after this, and, and then Laurie Strode comes back into her own Halloween movies later. Uh, I think this is the one where he's having the most time believing, convincing me yeah. that he is afraid of Michael Myers. Yeah. And that's his real basic purpose in the movies, other than being a heroic figure and needing yeah. to rescue people at certain times. Yeah. He's the guy who says the ominous things about Michael Myers. This is, you don't know what you're dealing with. This is a killing machine. Yeah. He is terrified and he's trying to convince other people to be terrified and that makes us terrified. Yeah. And of all the Halloween movies, that works the least here. What works for me is Michael Myers in the hospital. Yeah. The, the stuff with Loomis and the stuff outside of the hospital is not connecting. There's a hilarious and over-the-top car accident where a Michael Myers suspect, some kid who just happens to be wearing the Do you know who that mask, kid is, though? Do tell me, Lee. It's Ben Tramer. Oh, right. That, uh, Laurie Strode. So, you crush. know, so you suppo- crush that, of course, they don't ever meet. No, that's Ben Tramer who who gets basically plowed over. He, and, he and gets hit by alive. a car, rammed into another car, and then both of the cars, because apparently they were made out of C4, <laughs> yes, I know, yes. That's, that's the whole, you know, action cliche. And it slows down the investigation, they believe, for a short period of time that Michael Myers, <coughs> that Michael Myers is no more. So, yeah. uh, I understand it as a plot point. I think it could have been better executed. <laughs> you know, but I do like the fact that they added that scene, because... and. One thing that this script touched about, and it's expanded more in number four, is that the effect that Myers has on the Haddonfield community, right, uh, and the sheer terror he brought to it, that other people started making very terrible decisions. We see it in the militia in number four, and yeah. I and I'll save it for then. But at this point, hysteria has kicked in, yeah. and it's just really dumb luck that Ben Tramer wears the exact same mask yeah. and is killed. But I think I like that little element of the script that we're getting, you know, we're seeing a grander scope to the effect of that Michael has on right. this community. I like that about Halloween too. It's um, a little bit reflective, too. I mean, and I hate to even nudge upon, you know, real-world horrors, because, let's be fair, as much as this is a movie about death, it's not a real-world sort of no. scenario we're talking about. If there is a shocking act of violence, if a bunch of teenagers get killed in a neighborhood, there are very serious echoes and repercussions, and most horror movies wouldn't even take the time to, to acknowledge that. And So it's in the background, but yeah. the fact that it's present at all is kind of interesting. Yeah. Halloween 2 has one of those you know awful footnotes in not only cinematic history, but history. But uh, there was controversy surrounding this movie because there were copycat killers oh, really? that came from this movie. Uh, a man who was mentally ill 
had watched Halloween 2 and then I think went and killed his family saying that images from the movie yeah, sparked him to do it. Well, again, if it wasn't that movie, I'm guessing it would be... Oh, no. Movie. I mean, the same thing happened with A Clockwork Orange years before. Yeah. Um, this is one of the movies that really started to get Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, mm-hmm. get the whole wheel a-going to try and stop let's, not only heavy let's metal... Let's ruin horror movies not, for Yeah, not years. only heavy metal, but... Um, you know, horror movies, and she's meant. She mentioned it in one of her initial speeches, saying that this was a film that caused you know real people to die. Now, I don't want to get into an argument about how art can somehow influence you know already violent or very sick people, but that's one of those sort of awful footnotes with Halloween too. Yeah. I, um, I didn't know there was a specific copycat to Halloween too. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. In my long research, (laughs) unfortunately, it's a sad footnote to the movie. What doesn't work with this movie, though, and once again, this, and I blame Carpenter for this because he did the extra shots, the reshoots, all the brutal violence that uh, you see in this movie, including the burning of the face and the needle that causes, you know, the, I guess, the epileptic seizure death. Yeah. Um, what else? The what other violent death? Oh, the slipping of the blood. Yeah, that's all Carpenter. In fact, I think any physical elements that he added to this movie are some of the weak points. Uh, there's that long walk that Michael Myers does. Uh, it's that long shot. It is a, it is sort of a, a nice shot, but at the same time, it it takes me out of the movie with the kid with the ghetto blaster, mm-hmm. and then Michael kind of bumps into or he bumps into Michael a little bit. Yeah. And we follow Michael as he is walking through, once again, and Haddonfield looks um, huge, huge at this point. Yeah. It, it was shot in California, not in the small town they had used in Halloween, and I thought that was a mistake. The whole, we had more money, so let's shoot it in a different place. Yeah. Um, it looks, it, I don't know, just even the light of it, it looks a lot like California, and not like the town in which they shot the original Halloween in. So the town just, it looks like a city. Which, We're starting to lose our idea of what Haddonfield was. yeah. Uh, yeah, the sequence that kind of troubled me. Okay, well, here, I'll say this. I loved it when I first saw it as a kid. Yeah. I like it a lot less now. Yeah. Is the sexy nurse in the hot tub sequence. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, like, the, the, these are movies of archetypes, right? So yeah, yeah. we have the cheesy, not very nice boyfriend with a boner just horn-dogging his girl, finally convincing her to meet him for a hot tub fuck fest down in the basement. Yeah. And, uh... They get killed. Yep. There's this whole big little mini movie out of the of this main main movie. Leo, Ross, Leo Rossi was the horny ambulance boyfriend, by the way. Thank you. But there's something <laughs> so, so perfunctory about the nudity. It, the way the way she reveals herself to the camera yeah. is like, and now titties, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, and she's just changing to get into the hot tub or whatever. And the whole conceit that Michael Myers can turn a dial that will make the hot tub suddenly boil yeah literally what's the point of that like what what is that fucking thing used for <laughs> like what, yeah uh, the whole sequence is nonsense but i remember those titties from when i was a little kid watching that movie so <laughs> like yeah. then, didn't like that scene watching it again now it, it's the least credible murder sequence and it's a big bite of the movie they spent quite a bit of time with these two characters for some reason yeah um and 
the scene that I like is the scene that you briefly mentioned when the last starfighter walks in the room and sees that this nurse has had this really bizarre kill drained where she's been strapped to a table and drained of blood and she's yeah she's got uh, a tube coming out of her arm that's slowly draining her she was basically yeah. laying on the table squirming while her she slowly bled out he doesn't see it he walks into a dark room and she's just laying on a cot and yeah. he walks into this huge puddle of blood slips and cranks his head on the floor and yeah it, i mean it's weird it's a strange scene i wouldn't say it's scary but i certainly haven't seen anything like it before or since yeah no well the fact that he well i love the fact that you know he literally dies by slipping on a pile of blood he's he so concussed yeah yeah i mean he doesn't die right at that moment we actually he wanders all, out to the car the joke pays off later in any ways yeah, yeah. and causes more problems for laurie strode at that point uh, but I do sort of like that scene where, yeah, he slips on a on his a giant pool of blood and kills He's himself. He's out for a little while. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I, I do like it's that. It's just in a movie full of things that were not surprises, that surprised me. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, we talked about their girls in Halloween too, but a lot of people do a lot of stupid things in this movie that does get <laughs> kind of annoying. I mean, the security guard going through the place and... He gets scared by a fucking cat. Yeah, like... A cat jumps out in the yeah. fucking storage closet of the goddamn hospital. Yeah, and at that it point... It made me think of the Steve Martin movie, The Man with Two Blurt Brains, yeah. where they're doing the surgery. Yeah. In the middle of surgery, he says, somebody get that cat out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a cat in the hospital? It's just so fucking dumb. Right? Yeah, the cliches of, of the slasher genre are alive and well in this movie. And at that point, that's about our fourth or fifth jump scare. Yeah. So we're, we're anticipating it. The, the audience members, once again, are going one, two, yeah. three, and yeah. Well, generally speaking, if you throw a fake scare at me, I tend not to like it. That's yeah. like you're just wasting. It's a wasted moment of the movie. You're not telling a story. Yeah. But if you give me a wasted jump scare and you use a cat, go fuck yourself. Yeah. That's the easiest, cheapest, most tired cliche scare, even in 1981. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, you guys. Try a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do like the element at this point, because they are expanding the universe. The, the big uh, twist of the, uh, the movie, and I don't think I'm really spoiling it, because I think most fans know this, is that at this point... It's Lo- revealed. It's revealed that Laurie Strode is indeed, in fact, uh, the sister of Michael Myers, and that has been his end game. Is to at this at least at this point is to you know finish off his lineage, killing his bloodline, and the real target is Laurie Strode. Yeah, um, that is a nice element. I do like the little dream sequences, although that is a tired cliche and but motif just, as well. It kind of justifies all the stalking he does of Laurie in the first movie too. Yeah, because he didn't really stalk the other victims as much. You know, yeah, no, it's it's or... really all been about Laurie Strode and anyone who got in his way. Boom, uh, leading to the climax of the movie. So yes. we should probably get <laughs> get yeah, moving yeah. along here. Uh, Something that I really like. I mean, it's going to end with Dr. Loomis and doing a selfless act and, uh, you know, sacrificing himself, supposedly, to, to yep. stop this evil. But there's something really interesting in the final confrontation between Laurie and Mike Myers that should be really cheesy, but I find really, I don't know, strange and good. Yeah. She shoots out the motherfucker's eyes. Yeah, that works. It's a str- like when I say that to describe it, it seems like what? Yeah. And she fires two shots and uh, perfectly gets both through both eye holes of the mask, and he starts bleeding these tears out of the mask. It's and then is doing these blind swipes <laughs> yeah. in the air, and it's completely off the charts insane. Like we're in a whole like it was supernatural already, but like 
this is like wow. Yeah, right? well, yeah, and your Nolan Perso <laughs> would have been dead at this point, but yeah. no, it's Michael no, Myers. But Michael Myers should have been dead several times over, but the yeah. fact that he took two shots to the face and is still trying to kill her is like, good lord, what are we going to do? Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah. And uh, with this explosion that happens in the hospital, this is where the Donnie Darko tangent universes start to form yeah. in, in, in Halloween lore. Yeah. In one tangent universe, we follow Laurie Strode, and in another, we follow Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Uh, it's a mixed bag of a sequel, but in the sort of canon of, of Halloween movies, I think it's pretty strong. I think to sum up Halloween 2... And I do like I do like the fact that it is the bookend of the night, but, and we talked about this once again in Halloween that once again a group of people came together, made a family, and made a film where the the filmmakers involved even both Carpenter and Hale were you know very honest about this after the film. I mean it was a financial success, but they they said this really was for the money. Yeah, we were asked you know by Universal Pictures who had had the rights at this point to go make a sequel and you know we, we tried but you know this was what he said it was a, a six pack of beer every single day trying to make a movie and it shows I mean they had more money they literally had like almost four times the budget making this but I think in some ways that kind of hurt it a little bit Halloween gave them credibility yeah Halloween 2 gave them a bankroll yeah and I think that's why Halloween is great and Halloween 2 is good yeah it's passable. I mean, it is. It, it's as a slasher film, and it is one of the stronger ones. Um, it's a passable film, but it has this sort of tragic consequence of you know following up one of the greatest thrillers of all time. You are never going to be as good. Yeah. It's it's really like Jaws two in a lot of ways. Where yeah, I was going to say yeah, I'm yeah. reminded of our review of Jaws two. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's it's good. There are some decisions that make me kind of go, hmm, but yeah, it's, you, you can do worse. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Halloween three, season of the witch, to begin is out of its goddamn mind. <laughs> it is batshit insane. It's yeah. a crazy movie. Um, now, I think that there's a lot of hate that gets thrown at this movie because of the very deliberate lie that was sort of brought upon Halloween fans. In some of the initial trailers for this Halloween 3, they, they did nothing to tell you that this was not a Michael Myers Halloween movie. It's like, here comes Halloween 3, everybody. And... Uh, on bo uh, initially, T John Carpenter thought, well, let's get away from Michael Myers. Let's make this... We'll do another Halloween movie every every year. Which is not a bad idea, per but se. But we'll just do another horror movie from a new filmmaker, and it'll just be set on Halloween, and, and, and you know, we'll make us some money. Yeah. And the conceit was fine, but by this point, people wanted Michael Myers. And by the time they were about to release the movie, they knew people wanted Michael Myers, so they outright kind of lied. 
So people expecting to see a slasher movie came and watched this completely batshit crazy movie about some weird Irish Celtic cult and ground up pieces of Stonehenge and technology being mixed with supernatural and robot people and people being changed into robots and and madness yes you would be forgiven to think that this movie was made by on and for cocaine (laughs) (laughs) like wow and in the middle of this we have this 80s fixtures tom akins who i will always love because of night of the creeps thrill me but i will never understand this man as a leading man or as like somebody that you would center a movie on he seems to be like he, in, in Night of the Creeps, he's a sideline character. He's like the guy with all the one-liners and hates his life and is sort of, yeah, see? Yeah. He works well there. But as like a romantic leading man, he's a prick. He's, he's not likable. And this is the same sort of thing happens when they use him in the fog, too. Yeah. He's this grumpy, shitty, irritable, prone-to-violence dude who we are supposed to like for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> who gets mixed up in some craziness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I it's don't know. It's different. It's I'll faint, give it that. It's but... faint praise. We'll get to Tom. Why don't we start with Tom Atkins or Aitkins? I think it's how you yeah. pronounce it. He's sort of, and I hate to say this, a poor man's version of Bruce Campbell, at least with his career trajectory. The thing is, is I think Bruce Campbell was sort of in on the joke. Yeah. Where I think uh, Tom Atkins, um, at least I think was trying to be serious. Um, I, I don't know if it's an 80s thing, because at least at this point, feminism was, you know, alive and well at this point. But yeah, his character is very much a womanizing, kind of treating women like 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 objects, man, yeah. to quote the Big Lebowski. But okay, but, you're not making another slasher movie, but you're making another movie for that audience. And yeah. considering that, almost all of the decisions being made here are confusing to me. I don't understand this guy as our leading man. I don't, yeah. like, it, 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 it's a movie about a bunch of people in their 40s, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, that's fine. You can do that. You can make movies about whoever. But, I mean, how different it was from the other Halloween movies. Yeah. And the, the robots. I don't know why the robots really <laughs> trouble me. Like, it's this sci-fi horror schmozzle. The movie's a mess. It's directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who's yeah. a long-time collaborator, worker. With I think this is his only movie he directed? I could oh, be no, wrong. He's got, a, he's got a lengthy film credit. Really? But, uh, he did Fright Night too. but for me, I'll always oh, love did. him. He did, that's right. I will always love him for directing the TV miniseries of It. Oh, Right. Uh, you know what? Shame on me for forgetting that. No, he's he's done. He's got a fairly significant like uh, yeah. catalog, but uh, this was his first movie. I yeah, think. that's right. It was. Um. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I have a soft spot for him because you know he's his name shows up in movies I like. Yeah. Not counting this one, his name shows up in movies that I like. Yeah. I would love to tell you that I was part of the sort of revisionist history crowd who says like. Well, I hated this movie when it first came out because it wasn't what I wanted it to be, but now I've discovered it to be a quietly brilliant, you know, forgotten gem of the 80s. Yeah. No. No. This it's is... not even so bad it's good. It's just, like, it's a tough slog. Like, like I said, that cocaine thing wasn't just me being <laughs> glib. Yeah. Like, there's something a little unhinged about the movie. <laughs> yeah, the script really lets this movie down and the decisions made by I think Tommy Tommy Lee Wallace is his name. Yeah. Um that really, really send this movie off the hinges. 
even getting back to our lead character, the fact that he's this openly womanizer and it's strongly hinted at even at the he's beginning. He's cheating on his wife. That in he's the movie. cheating, yeah, on his wife in the movie uh, and is going to most likely cheat on it, was going to plan on cheating on his wife with that, uh, not that nurse, the person. The, the other woman who ends up turning into a robot. <laughs> well, not, well, not, well, I mean, she sleeps with, yeah. he sleeps with her, but. The, the person, the woman at the morgue, who right. is who is dissecting this robot, she doesn't know it. Flirty with, yeah. I, I, they even said we're gonna, we, we, you know, take me out to, for a drink and meet up later. So uh, you know, if none of that stuff had happened with the town and then, and the robots, most likely he would have gone to have slept with this woman while his wife is at home with the two kids yeah. who clearly is unhappy with him and he just generally seems quietly annoyed with everybody around him all of this yeah yeah <laughs> whether or not they deserve it <laughs> that, that's true yeah he sort of comes across like i'm smarter than all of you and i'm gonna quietly sort of just disdainly show it i got a uh here's an obscure reference for you i got a mitchell vibe of him nice mitchell <laughs> you know, nice. like our leading man is our leading man for just some arbitrary reason. <laughs> they should have. The, the camera fell out of the sky and landed on this dude. <laughs> they should have done it with that theme song. Happy, happy Halloween, Mitchell. <laughs> um, and it, if I thought that the movie was smarter, I would say that they did made all these decisions to set him up for a fall because spoilers. He does not rescue the, the the maiden fair, and he does not necessarily succeed entirely at the end. He foils the plan and kills. <coughs> he foils the plan. And he kills, kills our villain, our antagonist. Yeah. yeah, he kills a lot of the bad guys. Foils the plan, but a lot of kids have their heads melted into bugs and snakes. Have we mentioned this? Yeah. <laughs> that the plaster man of this evil, evil dude is to have all the kids that buy his Halloween masks have you even die the these plot? horrible deaths. Have you mentioned the plot of I this I tried movie? to mention the plot at the very beginning, but yeah. it, it was the broad strokes. It's a toy manufacturer warlock, right? He's a warlock. <laughs> yes. Hence has, the season of the witch. Yeah, I guess. has these ground pieces of Stonehenge... That he uses to put into the making of these masks, and that that on Halloween night when he airs this commercial will kill all of the kids that are wearing the mask, and then somehow victory and profit, right? I, I don't know what the I don't. Do really you remember his motivation <laughs> for why? I think it was like I wanted to. He wanted to sacrifice a whole I bunch of children. Halloween to... was not being taken seriously, and this would be a way to make Halloween. The like will will never be the same thing after this night, right? Where all these kids were killed, yeah, right. So it would no longer be a celebration; it would be a time of mourning. Maybe that I couldn't one hundred percent get behind it. And all the the robot henchmen really bothered me. Uh, well, here's the thing about that, and 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 for people, I, I failed, Halloween three. I failed at telling you the plot because the plot is a convoluted mess. Yeah, Halloween three is not a knife movie; it's a pod movie. What Tommy Lee Wallace wanted to do was Don Siegel's Invasion of the Body Snatcher. Which, by his own admission, is one of his favorite movies. Yeah. And the, even the clues to that is even the town in which our two heroes end up at. Uh, I think the name was Santa Maria, which was the fictional town used in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. They're coming! They're coming! And then, well, let's get to the ending for a second. And at that point, it's just comedically bad, where we have Tom Aitken screaming, Stop it! Stop it already. Stop playing it. Off. Turn Stop it off. It. Stop it. Which is how we all feel at this point. We're yes. all in oh, the Oh, yeah. Page. No, we're secretly saying, turn this piece of <laughs> shit it. off. 
that's also a big homage to the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where we have Andrew, not Andrew McCarthy, um, Kev, Kev, is it Kevin McCarthy? I Kev, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, the actor from the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think you're right about that. The original actor from the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, for if people who have not seen that movie, is running in you know the streets, you know, Warning in public. People. You know, they're coming. They're coming. They've already taken his over his entire town. And yeah. Now they're on the so way to now the there's shooting. that big homage. But yes, the robots. They're supposed to be pod people. The fact that people are being turned into robots. That's a big tip of the hand to invasions of the body snatchers and that's what halloween 3 really is it's a pod movie but when i say this out loud like he he fails to get all the broadcasts to stop on some of the channels so like let's say several hundred thousand children were killed at the end of that movie at a minimum right yeah uh and he failed like that's a brutal ending but it's kind of in air quotes a bold ending right it's like you wouldn't have anticipated that. Some of the shit, some of the decisions they made, I didn't agree with, but like they were counterintuitive and kind of gutsy. Yeah. Wrong. Yes. <laughs> but gutsy. Yeah. See, someone didn't speak up during the you know the production meetings, the pre-production meetings. <laughs> I think even the writing of it, and kind of went whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Okay. First of all, I, I want I, I'll get to Stonehenge in a second, but I want to talk about the ending, that sort of twist where our heroine, who's the with the actor name escapes me, art. She's fa- a robot. She, yeah, that makes she's a robot. No sense. So not at all. So let me get this straight. <laughs> she helps him a escape, kill our villain essentially, uh, you know, stop other kill other robots in the process of escaping, only to try and strangle him when they're safely away from the you know the burning factory which the you know the, she was held captive in nope if i was a robot and was supposed to stop and our they, hero they've been established as being incredibly strong she could snap his neck like toothpick no problem. when they're up on the rafters or whatever or just you know sort of flip him over and he falls to his death why wait until you know basically everything is destroyed and if i cared more i'd go back and see you know was she switched at some point but like i like we're I, meant I, I don't care enough yeah. to go back but we're I mean, meant to think that when she's lying on the table with you know all the straps that she's a robot and she's basically sort of this venus flytrap and waiting for her hero but at that point if that was true why not the second he turns his back when she's up yeah snap of the neck that doesn't make sense no. Uh, one thing which was a good bad scene for me yeah counterbalanced with a really uncomfortable awful sex scene going on this sort of loudmouth woman in the next room starts fucking around with the tech on one of these masks yeah and lasers herself in the face in a really sort of cheesy 80s effect yeah that effect isn't really that impressive but her laying there with her charred burning face boiling bugs out of her while her body screams and or while the body sort of twitches and kicks and yeah. she has this prolonged awful death and the death that we see of the little boy in the pumpkin mask in the t- control test room it is fucked up like yeah. that is fucking hardcore yeah. and it's a little kid like again bold decision not sure if I'm on board yeah. like, no I mean th- those little things work um, the other thing that I would have gone whoa 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 is this doesn't work is how in sweet Zeus's butthole would you have gotten to Stonehenge? <laughs> literally lifted these, you know, at least three pieces of boulder rock. Dude, he's a warlock. <laughs> like, chalk. I, I, I answer warlock. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, he, I would have paid to see that movie. Yeah. Let it be Halloween 3, the great escape of 
Stonehenge, where these guys somehow, somehow what, drug the bodyguards guarding Stonehenge, you know, have a giant cloth over this thing and, like, somehow get it out of... Where, where is Stonehenge originally? Is it Greece? No, no it's in England. It's in England, but yeah. Somehow they managed to steal a big portion of Stonehenge and get it inside this small town in America. Yeah. That is... Utterly insane. <laughs> like just. But it's not the only thing. That's <laughs> no, no, and that's the sad thing. But it's one of those decisions where I'm like, what? And then it comes alive and fries the the head and brain of our villain at some point. Yeah, at that point I'm like, no. I think that we've no. well expressed. Like I'm gonna end where I started. Yeah. This movie is out of its goddamn mind. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, I can't even say good, bad, ugly. I, mean, I, I don't recommend it. I don't apologize for it. I don't have this revised version of it. I don't, I'm don't. i not hard on it because it's not a Michael Myers movie. I'm yeah. hard on it because it's a hot mess. Yeah. And I, I I could have the argument with you that it isn't, but I don't think you're going to convince me. No, no. Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. Michael! He's here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. The movie we're about to talk about is actually in the 80s, but I want to talk briefly about back in the 1990s. It was a different world. We didn't live on Facebook and Twitter, and, you know, Dennis Miller was still funny. And uh, I remember watching a uh, Saturday Night Live, and they were announcing the new Star Trek. Star Trek VI at the time was coming out. And he said, uh, you know, the movie studio has just announced Star Trek VI, the apology. Because the fans were so outraged at how horrible, apparently, Star Trek V was. Halloween Four, it's Halloween Four, the return of Michael Myers does some kind of feel to me like that Halloween 4 the apology <laughs> oh it, it is wide we open see, we see what we did wrong we see that you're mad at us I'm sorry <laughs> and we're here to deliver you the goods that you we now understand that you come to expect from Halloween yeah and uh I don't think it's an amazing movie by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but it knows that it's a Halloween movie, and it knows that like the fans want Michael Myers. Michael Myers is going to be front and center in this movie, right? Yeah. Like I said, this is the tangent universe in which we lose Laurie Strode and we follow Loomis. Yeah. And uh, so we are told that Laurie Strode has died in a car accident, but not before having a daughter yeah. who was played by a then very, very young, 11 years old, Danielle Harris. Danielle Harris. Who's sort of grown into a scream cream sex symbol in her own right. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, she's really good for a child actress. Like, oh, yeah. like she's very strong, I think. Yeah. Um, she's the last now in the bloodline. 
So when Michael Myers awakens from a coma, now he didn't die in the explosion, neither did Loomis. They both somehow survived that horrible fire. Yeah. Um, he, he escapes and returns to Haddonfield. And somehow his vision is also returned. Yeah, he, he, he grew his eyeballs back while he was in his coma, apparently. Uh, and he comes back to Haddonfield to stalk this little girl. Basically, they, they kept what was working. We, we, Haddonfield was working. Michael Myers was working. He's got a, a specific goal that he needs to set to. He's after this little girl. We know the stakes. We know the setup right away. And the movie just lets us let it play out. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It's fairly perfunctory and straightforward in a lot of ways. But if you want to watch a slasher movie, this is another one. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, a couple of things that they do get right, and they do realize that, uh, you know, the main star of this franchise now is, of course, Michael Myers. That's what people have come to pay and see. There you go. Um, I do like the fact, and you can only really do this once, which is which hopefully, and I don't want to talk about Star Wars, but I will just for a second, that you can only do so many little homages and Easter eggs mm -hmm. before it becomes old hat. I do like the Easter eggs in this movie. The, the fact that they bring it back to Haddonfield, although it is clearly shot in the summer. Yeah. And, and that one thing that did take me out of this movie is all the green leaves that are scattered throughout this movie, and yet on the ground is there's obviously... Brown. There's They're brown. trying, but yeah. Yeah, no. Like, just just wait. I get the fact that there was a writer's strike. You want to get this movie released on Halloween time. Yeah. Attention to detail. Wait till October and shoot it then. I think Even, this was, like, the, the, the day where, like... Slasher movies were hot, so you wanted to get <coughs> you want to get the next installment out as soon as possible because they knew that there was going to be a, a point where the bubble was going to burst. Yeah, I think that it it lasted like ten, maybe eleven years, and probably at that five years longer than anyone expected. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No. 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 I guess I, if you're bringing back Michael Myers, one of the visual aesthetics, and I I know it's also even in the original a little bit. You can see the green leaves on some of the trees. Yeah. But it looks like it's small town October in the first Halloween, not so much in the second. If you're I mean, gonna come back yeah. to this universe, just wait till October. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was shot literally in the summer. Two three months later is October, and which means you'd have to shoot at least the outdoor shots. Well, in, in I, I blame but, the machine. You're right. They could have waited a year and made the movie look better. Yeah. But this is a machine, and they're gonna crank out another one every fucking year if they can because. It's a low investment for a big return, and it continues to be so. Even when it becomes a minimal, minimal return, it's always enough for there to be another one, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I understand, you know, you got to deal with these adversity. You're shooting the movie where you're shooting it, and you do the best that you can. Yeah. But they certainly didn't help themselves. No. Um, but considering all the stuff that they had to sort of fight against this movie, because they had a writer strike that was coming yeah. uh, before... Yeah, the, that was going to basically cancel all it, the writers could not contribute anymore to any material until they had reached a deal with the WGA and essentially Hollywood Alan B. McElroy wrote this screenplay in 11 days yeah I heard that Yeah, not bad in order to get it in before he could uh, and he couldn't really tinker with it once he handed no, it no, in it, it, was like, it was basically one and done and considering what he came up with not that bad yeah. I mean it's like I not said, Pulitzer Prize winning material they don't reinvent the wheel, but what I will say is that they really, really land it well. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. movie ends very strongly. I oh, think. God, yeah. Uh, I, 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 
in a lot of ways, it's your pretty typical slasher movie with a better than average child actress in the center of it. Oh, yeah. I typically don't like horror movies where the main character is a little kid because I'm never really scared for them. Yeah. And I would say that is true here. At no point do I believe that Daniel Harris is going to die. I, it's hard for me to be really scared for her. But I think that she's a really good actress. And I like her. I like her a lot. I like her so much that the ending hurts. Yeah. Oh no, you kind of feel that sort of tragic pull. Spoilers, since we're going to essentially open those cans. Basically at the end, surprise, Michael is defeated. Uh, But the evil seems to have carried over to her. Yes, basically it's seeped into her and she brutally attacks the stepmom. We are left to believe that she, that the the stepmom is, has been killed. We don't see it, but she's got a lot of blood on her. Yeah. And and, she's standing there at the top of the chair wearing a very similar costume to the little boy at the first time. That Michael had worn. Yeah. And it's kind of a, oh snap. And it was, again, it was very respectful to the original, you know, Halloween movie. And like, it was sort of moving the story forward. Oh, so this evil is now going to be transferred into her. So, yeah. you know, in a way, if Michael Myers is killing his bloodline so that the, the, the evil inside him will not go on past yeah. him or whatever. Who knows? Uh, that could be explored, hopefully, in further sequels. Yeah. But, um, Anyways, um, I want to talk about a couple of Easter eggs, or at least one that made me kind of smile. Um, do you remember the sequence in which uh, Dr. Loomis is sort of, his car has broken down and he's walking on the highway, mm-hmm. literally walking to Haddonfield? Right. And basically, the first vehicle that passes him is the same station wagon that the nurse and he were driving towards the psych ward that Michael steals in oh, the original nice. Halloween. No, I that. It's a big sort of, and he, he does the whole waves and the car just passes him by. That made me smile. Yeah. The the weight of coincidence sequence that he and Michael end up in the same gas station for <laughs> yeah. that one sequence kind of stung a little bit for me. Yeah. But it was a nice confrontation. I like the shot where, and it's stolen from Vertigo. Yeah, where the reveal Mi- of Michael there. Michael, and he hasn't worn the mask yet. But basically, you know, the, the the one wall is coming close, and he's and the background is moving far away, but Michael's staying essentially the same. same. It, it's, it's a nice little illusion shot. Once again, this movie was a quick shoot, but the fact that they took the time to do that shot, yeah. and Dwight A. Little is the director who would then go on to make the ultimate Steven Seagal classic, Marked for Death. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen it. I have no memory of it. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a, basically a McDonald's. <laughs> it's a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> yeah, they're need made, we, need they're we made say, to be forgotten. Need we say more? <laughs> um, I guess that you know I, I like that little thing. I, once again, and then the whole idea. The, that the universe expands where I like the idea of the militia that this town has been so rocked by that faithful night that there are a whole bunch of gun crazy Americans just waiting <laughs> with itchy trigger fingers <laughs> if Jason Voorhees was a Republican then Michael Myers is the weird fucking Democrat that sort of <laughs> you know comes across but basically I like the idea that they do spend some time on this militia that once it's leaked over the radio that Michael Myers may be back. These guys grab their guns and create even more trouble yeah. for the community and the police where they start killing innocent people. I like that idea. And that was sort of dropped a little bit in Halloween 2. And it, and it is explored further along Halloween 4. I like that idea yeah. that Myers, his death grip goes just beyond him. That just his own presence on that community creates more chaos and I think that's sort of a realistic nice touch yeah. I think the there's a sequence that kind of is I think 
pretty strong. Uh, they didn't have the hospital like Halloween 2 did to give them the long dark corridors or yeah. the different sort of interesting kills. We were kind of back in Halloween 1 territory as far as yeah. what they could do. But uh, I really love the sequence on the roof. Yeah. Um, uh, Ellie Cornell plays Rachel, the sort of uh, main protector figure for Daniel Harris. Our sort of pseudo Laurie Strode. Yeah. She is climbing and, and scaling this really slippery, uh, steep roof with Daniel Harris clinging to her back like a little, little yeah. backpack. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's interesting because uh, it's a, I think everybody's been on a roof, but uh, it's quite a, I, thought, I found a very strong, suspenseful sequence. Uh, they're in great danger from Michael Myers. Someone showed that they've been forced to call out the roof to try and get from him, but it's, yeah. it, it's, it's in, in a lot of ways enhanced the danger that they were in, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Is it an amazing movie? No. Yeah. But it's a fairly strong entry in a Halloween sort of slasher movie. It, it, you know, it was funny. Um, I think my memory of this movie was far greater than I think the movie actually is. I, I, I think this was literally the fourth time I've seen this movie. I used to hold Halloween 4 in higher regard than, than I think I do today. I do like the house sequence. Um... I guess I found the little side story of her boyfriend treating... I mean, once again, it's one of those cliches of staples of the genre. Yeah, mio. I found that a little tiresome, but whatever. Um, I do like... But I do like that roof sequence. I think that's a nice little suspense. Um, I I, I do like the fact that they recognize their mistake and realize that Michael Myers was the true star of this movie. Um, I I, I don't know what it was this time. Um, I just, little things try to take me out of the story, and maybe it's because I have seen this movie more than once, but like, like I said, little things like the leaves and, and how the movie was lit, um, it, it just smacked of summer, and I, and I was taken out of it, but I did really enjoy Danielle Harris. I think it, if she wasn't strong, the, both the character arc and the performance, I think this you movie. are rolling the dice. Yeah. If the central performance of the movie hangs on a kid's performance. Yeah. You get that casting wrong and you are fucked. Yeah. So they they did really well there. It is a solid slasher movie. Um, I think it's definitely one of the stronger entries in the series. It's high up there. Um, but it's still like not something that you can get super excited about. Yeah, no. Sometimes you're in the mood to watch a slasher movie, and this is one of them. It's not particularly distinguished, but in this series of movies, which become problematic as yeah. we continue on, yeah, it ain't bad. Well, and you know what? Like this movie was way more profitable than they 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 expected. That this movie was like number one for three weeks. They in were a forgiven. Row. They said like they gave the fans exactly what they wanted. Yeah. We know we did bad. We're going to give you what you wanted. And the people said, thank you. Yeah. And they, they you know, answered with their wallets. Yeah. Unfortunately, this made the machine kick into high gear again. Yeah. So uh, they decided to go right into production with the part five. Uh, and I think, you know. That's a good segue there. Maybe. Maybe we're hitting the gas too quickly. Is there anything else you want to say about 4 before we can... I think that's pretty much it, man. Halloween 4. One of the stronger entries, but still... Solid. Yeah. I know why you've come back, Michael. Because the little girl... If you want to get rid of this rain, go home. I shall be there waiting for you. You'll find her. 
So when we were first doing our introduction, I was talking about how I was finding a pattern watching through these movies again. And, you know, one and two was sort of mirror movies where one was way better than the other. And I think we're seeing this again here. Four and five, I think as much as I was giving relatively faint praise to four, it's still a solid enough movie for what it wants to be. As I've said before in the podcast, what are you trying to do? How successful are you at it? That's how I want to judge your movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that respect, I think four did the job. Uh, I think that there is a d- significant diminish in quality for the second one, much like I would say when we talked about Halloween 2. But I would say much more so in this one. Um, and it also opens with the slasher movie cliche of killing off one of the survivors of the previous movie right out the gate. Yeah. Uh, Ellie Cornell gets gets uh, knifed very early in the movie. It's a fairly unglamorous, quick death in and out. We thirty in the thirty minute mark, she she is killed. She's yeah. out of the movie, and, and I think it's a mistake. And we go back to focusing on Daniel Harris, who is you know recovering from her previous thing. She it turns out did not kill her stepmother, but she has been being treated for psychological issues and now seems to have a psychic bond with Michael Myers. Yep. There's a few good things to say and there's a couple of decent sequences. The laundry shoot sequence comes to mind for that yep. about the movie. But for the most part, this is just a less good version of part four. Yeah. The revenge of Michael Myers sort of says, yeah, we gave you what you want, but I guess what you wanted, you guys, is in its own way kind of limiting. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the hard lesson, I think, of part five. Because yeah. they do most things right. They don't, mix, they don't fuck with the formula too hard. It's still in Haddonfield. It's still Halloween. It's still Daniel Harris. They didn't, you know, fuck with the formula. And in a way, like, Halloween 3 fucked with the formula too little. Yeah. Halloween 5, or Halloween 3 fucked with the formula too much. Halloween 5 fucked with the formula too little. Well, right off the back, you know, and, this, and to quote the great sci-fi spoof Spaceballs, this was the quest for more money. Yeah. They realized after the second week that they had a big hit in this band, a, a big hit uh, on their hands, excuse me, and so what? Let's rush production and get Halloween Five out, so we can ride this wave. Yeah. And you can already tell, you know, there's a st- a stale taste in your mouth with this movie. Yeah. Um, they make a couple of mistakes right off the bat, and once again, it's sort of stupid decisions. The question I have right off the bat is, okay, so a bum comes across, my, you know, the body of Michael Myers, and essentially nurses him back to health. Yeah. Keeps him alive for a year so that he wakes up. Basically, back into his little coma sleep and yeah, sort of like uh, Jason lies dormant for a little while before he gets up and starts killing folk again. At this point, Jason in the series because we were at five. Well, he's not even Jason in in number five by the thirteenth, but he's a zombie. So we can get past the fact that you know he's he comes back from the dead. Where Michael, I guess what. He's got to be some kind of supernatural, supernatural being. Like this point. So what? This bum has fed him food and liquids throughout the year. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, doesn't really make sense. Yeah, at uh, all. Like the, the the militia taking him down, him falling down a well, and him exploding him. This is like definitively killed. Except for he wasn't. He's fine. You know, it's kind of sloppily handled. Yeah. I think that the I I don't mind you know slasher movies starting with the big blah. We're gonna kill off a main character from the previous movie, but in a way, it's the expected thing to do now. Yeah. Uh, I don't if you're if you're gonna do that fine, but I I think you're right. I would have waited. I think that if Ellie had again had another sequence where 
we could get to the laundry chute, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the little girl can fit in the laundry chute. Ellie cannot. So she puts the little girl in the laundry yeah. chute, and then she gets fucking killed. Yeah. And that would be super traumatized, super scary. And oh, would, yeah. Like, it would have more impact. It would be less expected. Whereas when it happened in this movie, it's like, we haven't had a kill yet, and yeah. she's walking around in her empty house. Like They tried to pull a psycho, because at that point... We've, we've invested in her, where we've had a whole movie to be invested in her. We've got her for the first 20-some minutes, where you know, we see her and Jamie Lloyd, and then, and then she dies. The only problem is, is, besides Jamie Lloyd, who is going to be the person that carries you on this journey? And, and now we meet a bunch of other people who yeah. are going to try to protect Jamie and Lloyd, who we don't know or care about. They are hyper-sexed, overstimulated. Underactive. <laughs> yeah, and basically yeah. we have Wendy Foxworth, who plays Tina. Uh, and who is utterly annoying in this film. And even she, I mean, she takes one for the team, but she doesn't make it through the film. No. That's who then we But when she dies, to we don't in. care. Yeah, if, we don't. And it would have been Ellie at that point. Yeah. I think we would have cared more. Oh, yeah. No. So they, they jumped the gun way too early with her death. And that's one of the mistakes they do with Halloween 5. I think it was inevitable that it was going to boil down to, you know, the little girl, Loomis, and... Michael Myers yeah. in that way you like that that character will be is in the way of the structure of the plot she has to die yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in some respects but just make it count make yeah. us care here's a question I have for you because at this point Dr. Loomis's story arc he almost becomes a villain in this movie he's crazy he's lost his mind by yeah. this point and he, he is uses, terrible terrible yeah. to Daniel Harris oh character. yeah oh yeah no she he uses Jamie as bait yeah to, to to capture Michael, but he's clearly shown that he can't handle Michael. That he's he's a villain in this movie. What what makes it work a little bit for me is going back to the final moment of part four, when he sees that little girl with the butcher knife and blood all over her and no expression on her face, and he starts screaming and screaming like no, it's in her. No, so yeah. he knows that part of Michael is in this girl, and that part of their link is you know you know that this evil could go on to her yeah but the way he gets into her face with his burned up crooked visage it's like telling her there's no way you can hide from this man like amping making it so much worse for her like even when she's safe he is making sure that she is terrified at all she's a child she's a child 11 years old yeah she's a child there's still there's still a chance to maybe save her it's it's hard seeing Loomis like this. I mean, I I get that his arc at this point, where is he himself has been burnt somewhat quite badly. Yeah. Was he in a coma? I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, his whole life has been devoted to this, and yet again, once again, Myers is still around. I guess I could sort of believe the fact that you know he is driven insane by this, but he's supposed to be a, our protagonist. So to see him, the choices they gave him in this was a little disappointing. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but it's, it's tricky because we're talking about a slasher movie. So yeah. a lot of times we'll say, like, the plot point is kind of sloppy or why would that person do that? Yeah. And I was like, if you want to pull threads on the screenplay to a slasher movie, almost any of them, Friday the 13th doesn't matter, yeah. you're going to be able to say there's, 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 there's issues here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But... Stuff bothered me in this. Yeah. The fact, like, that, yeah, he's setting the trap. I, I, I'm 
mitigated. Like, he's like, absolutely, I'm using this little girl as bait. Yeah. The entire police force is going to surround this house, and we're going to lure Michael Myers here. Yeah. And then, like you said, that the Haddonfield has a ridiculous police force, apparently. Yeah. And then they get one call about an act of violence in the other end of the city. Yeah. And every single cop, every single cop gets into the car and abandons this little girl in this creepy house on yeah. Halloween. Yeah. I mean, I know what kind of movie that we're watching and we need to get the police out of the way yeah. to have this scene happen. It's but lazy. Holy shit. It's lazy script writing. <laughs> like, Another thing, and they really started to paint themselves into the corner with this. I know they were trying to expand the universe, but to have even more uh, the supernatural element that Jamie is psychically linked to Michael just seemed like a lazy choice. You know, like, okay. And at this point, that that motif or theme had been already done to death. Right. So that just seemed sort of lazy at this point. They are dropping gigantic hints. You know, we might as well also talk about the man with the boots and the spurs and... You know, maybe comes into play in the next movie. Oh, it does. It, <laughs> yeah. it is. It, it is revealed, and that's one of those questions that you know, even a young Lee was like, "Okay, who is this person?" Um, I did like it, but at the same time, this is when the series really started to paint themselves into a corner and started getting ludicrous. Well, and again, they were doing it at a dead run, and they were like doing it too much the same, but oh, maybe we should add a few too many elements. There's a, a little bit of too many cooks sort of yeah. vibe to it here as well. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have been a better movie if they weren't in such a big, busy hurry. Yeah. Or if it was already, even though there'd only been, I guess, even though it's part five, four legit Michael Myers uh, movies, yeah. that they were starting to run into the limitations of this. Like, yeah. if it's going to be Haddonfield, and it's going to be, uh, you know, Michael Myers stalking a specific victim in his, you know, creepy mask, yeah. we might be stretching this to the, the, the breaking point. Yeah, well, and it, it showed. The, the box office wasn't there, and at this point, 20th Century Fox, who had the franchise at this point, they, they had done two films, four, and they realized that at this point that five was, well, ridiculous and wasn't worth the return. So they abandoned it at this point, and rightfully so. Number five is, it's, it's not a good movie. It, it, it seems long and boring, even and though it's, not long. It's, it's barely 80 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Daniel Harris is still there. She's still a really strong actor, yeah. still very charming, still yeah. a believer when she's scared. Oh, and, yeah. You know. Nothing in the script that she wasn't able to handle deftly, arguably more deftly than a lot of the adults around her. Yeah. It seems rushed. Yeah. Um, Halloween 4 has the sort of historic dubious thing is this is the first movie that was actually given an X rating. Right. Uh, it was then, they went back to the MPA. Softened it. They yeah. softened it a little bit. Basically, it was the sex scene that was a little too long and a little more, you know, graphic, graphic than initiated, initiated. but... Initially, this film was released with an X rating, so, but... That's uh, just going to hurt your audience, too. Yeah. In the United States, you have an X rating, you can't advertise in TV, and you can't advertise in a lot of newspapers, yeah. which at the time was how you could tell what was playing in the cinemas, which basically meant you had to go to the cinema and see what X movie was playing there, yeah. you know, like it was... Yeah, well, the, at this point, you lose your I blame, I blame Tipper Gore night. for this. This is when she, she had basically taken control of the Senate and was like... 
this is wrong. Yeah, we're getting late into the 80s where the yeah. slasher movies were the reason for cultural decay in the youth and the violence and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's, it was and is and shall ever be bullshit. Yes. Um, we are fascinated with sex and violence as a species and as an animal. And yeah. to pretend that we're not, I think, is as damaging as watching a movie as silly and forgettable as... Halloween 5. Yes. You know, to think that a movie as totally lame as Halloween 5 has any power to it beyond being a pretty lame slasher movie is giving it way too much credit. Yeah, you know? I know. I, know. Uh, I, I think that these problems may be a little bit bigger than Halloween 5. <laughs> I guess we're also meant to believe, let, let's talk about the ending for a second, because at this point, Michael Myers has been kidnapped, not killed, kidnapped, and he's in in prison in a jail cell just sort of sitting there doing his Michael Myers thing when the man with the long trench coat that we've seen gotten off the bus earlier goes into the police station and and I'm led to believe slaughters half of the police force I'm sure Michael when he's released probably helped with but they leave Jamie Lloyd alone (laughs) is that what we're meant to believe I guess (laughs) yeah and considering how like fragile and fucked up and like <laughs> all of the shit that she has gone through. Yeah. No, no, that does not make sense. Yeah, exactly. Halloween 5 is a big old boring mess. Yeah. It really is. It's yawn and at this point fatigue has clearly set in. And it shows that there's almost 10 years until we get the next Halloween film. Unfortunately, things don't get better. Yeah. Uh, help me out here. There's a bit part actor I want to say, and I cannot remember his name. I was just trying to find it. He plays the police officer who is like the one guy who seems sensitive and genuine to uh, Is he in four? Big, oh, am I confused with four? Maybe he was in four. He helps her out the window and then gets stabbed. Oh, that's five. Deputy uh, Charlie. Yeah, this guy plays Deputy Charlie, uh, Troy Evans. He's a character actor. He's seen a lot of stuff. I remember him and like seeing him in the stand and Lots of other things. Has a great Fear and Loathing in, in Las great Vegas. Great cameo in yeah. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, he plays a really... It's one of these small roles that a good actor made a bit of a meal out of. Yeah. Because he is a... You know, he's protecting the Daniel Harris, Harris character. And he takes the time to get to know her. And to talk to her. And yeah. to try to comfort her. And let her know that he'll be there for her. And when the danger inevitably comes, he saves her effectively. Lets her out the window. And... He has the death of the movie that I kind of felt something. I'm like, that's too bad that you died. Because you were a nice guy and you did everything right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, if the movie had more scenes like that and more actors like that, I think it would be better for it. I just wanted to make mention of him before yeah. we moved on. Another thing that doesn't quite work, do you remember the two sort of keystone cops that are throughout this movie? Yeah. A Don Ray Sampson plays one of them and then they are... Mercis- comically ineffective yeah they yeah. are yeah they even make the lame joke we're bad cops blah blah, blah. there's some sort of recurring line they say that yeah. we're terrible at our job don ray sampson who is a character actor um he's had a bit of a career as well as one of the cops but is mercilessly put out of his our misery <laughs> about halfway part of this movie anyway i think we've spent way 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 too much time on halloween five
And so it was that part one of our two-part Halloween retrospective comes to a close. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you'll tune in for the next episode to see how Lee Beckman and I are going to rank all ten of the Halloween movies. Until then, uh, you can send feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Let me know what I got right, let me know what I got wrong, and uh, just let me know that you're listening. It's good for the morale. Also seek out the show on Facebook, seek it out on iTunes, and tell a friend about the podcast Ranking Review. Until next we speak, kids.